episode number 180 of the Fearless Presentations podcast, the fastest, easiest way to eliminate public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannett. Hey, welcome back to Fearless Presentations. I'm Doug Stannard, CEO of the Leaders Institute, and my goal is to help you become a fearless and professional speaker and presenter. On this episode, we're going to continue our masterclass about presentation skills. This week, I'm going to cover how to use your movement and gestures to not only reduce nervousness, but also create a more poised and confident appearance in front of a group. Uh, By the way, I've created a free downloadable guide for you. Just go to fearlesspresentations.com slash audio dash guide to access it. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, make sure and do that. Also rate the podcast, leave me a a review. I really appreciate that. And um, we have a number of in-person classes coming up in the next month or so. So we've got classes in Dallas, Philadelphia, Miami, Atlanta, and um, most of those classes, by the way, have at least a couple of seats available. So if you've been waiting for uh, one of our in-person public speaking classes to, to come back, those are some of the cities that are that are uh, going to go. Um, and we have other classes on the schedule. So just go to fearlesspresentations.com for details. Um, if, uh, if we get enough people, we'll actually make some of those classes go in some of the other cities as well. So again, for details, just go to our website at fearlesspresentations.com and enjoy this session of the masterclass. The best rule of thumb for gestures and movement while public speaking is simply move when you need to. Now, for instance, if you explain to your audience that there's a huge drop in revenue, but your body language doesn't change at all, then your delivery is going to be confusing. So your audience will likely think, well, he said huge, but I guess it really wasn't a big deal. This happens because your words and your movement are incongruent. So a more appropriate gesture might be to have, to hold your hand at about your eye level as you start the sentence. And then as you get to the words huge, drop your hands down to your waist. So just so you know, gestures are very natural unless you're nervous when you speak. Um, These movements and gestures, they're they're really quite natural. This is especially true when you're telling a story or giving an example to your audience. And and that is unless you're worried about using appropriate gestures. So I'll give you a good example. When I first began speaking, I was always concerned with trivial things such as you know, what should I do with my hands? And should I scan the audience with my eyes or look over everyone's heads? You know, how do I keep from fidgeting? Because I focused on those trivial things, my message was kind of lost in a lot of minutia. I was more focused on myself and less focused on the message that I was trying to get to, to, to deliver to the audience. Consequently, I distracted myself. I would lose my place and that just made me more nervous. And of course, when I got more nervous, I fidgeted more. I avoided eye contact with the audience and I began to worry about my hands. It was this reinforcing downward spiral. However, once I began doing many of the things that we've already covered previously, you know, basically being enthusiastic about my topic and telling more stories and using the incident action benefit formula, then my focus kind of shifted away from myself 
and onto my message. And many of those nervous habits just kind of went away automatically without me having to do really anything at all. You know, for instance, the next time that you go out with your friends on a, or, or the next time you go on a date with your significant other, I want you to observe something somewhere during that conversation, one or both, or all of you will start telling stories. Uh, it, it might be a memory that the two of you shared or just something that has happened since the last time that you met with each other uh, that was kind of interesting. Watch the natural body language that the person uses when he or she tells that story. Um, I, I give you a good example. I remember back to uh, dinner with my wife a while back. She ordered a bottle of Pinot Grigio, which is, you know, one of my favorite wines. And she asked me how my day was. And I began to tell her about, you know, a fairly mundane story about sorting through virtual resumes for a position that we were trying to fill at the office. And even though the story was really kind of uneventful, I, as I was telling it, I made natural gestures with my hands to emphasize a part of the memory. And when I did, I, I, I tapped the rim of the wine glass. You know, luckily, I was able to kind of grab the glass before the wine poured all over the table, you know, so basically I'm making these gestures and, and uh, my hands are moving. And when I did, I kind of hit the wine glass and luckily I caught it before it, you know, tumbled all over the, 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 um, the tablecloth and everything. But you probably have had something similar happen when you were telling a story at, at dinner or at lunch and, and where you, where your gestures caused you to kind of hit something that was on the table or something like that. And if so, you're likely using natural gestures to emphasize your story. So for some reason, though, when we get nervous, we tend to use fewer of these natural gestures. That lack of gesture makes our delivery way more boring, by the way, and being more boring causes the audience to be less enthused about the presentation. And as a result, the speaker's nervousness increases. So you really want to avoid this negative reinforcing cycle. Basically, all you really need to do is just insert more stories into your presentation to um, reinforce the points that, that you're making. And when you tell the stories like you would if you were out with your friends at, at dinner, the stories will likely add energy and humor to the presentation. It's going to give you a much better connection with your audience. Like, like for instance, let's say that you're delivering a presentation about how to fill out expense reports. You know, that's obviously not an exciting topic. And you know ahead of time that everyone in your audience hates to fill out these, these reports, right? Since the audience hates these reports, they will most likely hate your presentation as well, right? So no pressure there. Well, stories and examples will be your friend, though. In this type of presentation, one point that you may want to make is to complete the report days before payday, just in case something is incomplete and has to be redone, right? Then just insert a story about how after a recent trip, you waited until the last day to complete the report. You did everything correctly. However, one of the receipts that you uploaded was misfed into the scanner and the total was cut off. And as a result, you had to wait two more weeks to get reimbursed. So when you tell a story like this, you'll feel you'll, you'll make those natural gestures with your fingers and you'll, as you recall, you know, typing up the report, you'll also likely use your, your fingers to reenact the, the gesture similar to sliding the receipt, receipts through the scanner. These natural and really subtle gestures add clarity to your speech and, and they get your audience to kind of want to pay attention to you. Um, and by the way, you don't have to remember any, any tips or techniques about movement either. You know, just do what comes naturally and, and, and basically you do that. You want to do no more than that and really no less than that. And you'll be really, really effective. Uh, by the way, if you are really nervous, though, the, there are a few natural 
things that you can do to um, reduce nervousness and, and use natural gestures. For instance, if you don't speak in front of groups very often, some of these natural gestures may be significantly reduced. In this case, then there are a few things that you can do really consciously to appear more poised in front of a group. Now, keep in mind that as you become more confident in front of a group and, and more self-assured when you speak, many of these things will, will happen automatically. So don't try to force them. Don't spend a lot of time thinking about these things in the beginning. As you become more and more confident, if you find that some of these things are still distracting you, then focus on improving on maybe one of these things at a time in each of your next speeches. So let's kind of talk about first impressions first. So realize that the first impression that your audience has of you often is created before you even take the stage. The, the way that you carry yourself, your posture, your conversations with audience members before the presentation, all of those have a part in creating your first impression as the speaker. So as you walk to the front of the room, make sure that your chin is up, make eye contact with a few friendly faces, smile, and then have some enthusiasm in your step. An easy way to harness enthusiasm is to just walk about a about a stride or so faster than your normal pace. This is a very, very simple thing that you can do, but it can have a really, really profound effect. Um, think about it. What's the automatic impression that you have if a speaker slowly walks to the front of the room with very little or no enthusiasm? Chances are you're going to begin to think that this meeting is going to be dull even before the person says anything. So that's, that's, that happens before the speaker even opens his or her mouth. The opposite is true, though, as well. So walk a little bit faster as you move to the front of the room. You don't have to run. Just may move at a slightly quicker pace than is normal. And when you do this, you kind of push energy into the room before you even open your mouth. So once you take the stage, make sure to distribute weight kind of evenly on both feet. That way you aren't moving back and forth. Um, the reason is that if your weight is centered on a single foot, one of your two feet, then eventually that foot's going to get tired. Now, when this happens, you're going to shift your weight to the other foot. And before long, you're going to constantly be shifting from one foot to the other. So there's, there's, by the way, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But it might eventually become a distraction to your audience and anything that distracts from your message can have a negative impact on your performance. So think about your first impression like the opening moments of, of a live theater performance, right? The narrator slowly walks up on stage, then as he begins to speak, you notice him moving back and forth from one foot to another, you know, it doesn't really bode very well about the rest of the performance. So start off with the, with an immediate win when you come on stage. It's, it's easier to keep your audience engaged versus trying to win back your audience after a poor start. Um, another thing that you can do is just drop your hands loosely by your side to appear more at ease. Um, if you've ever wondered, you know, what the heck am I supposed to do with my hands? Don't worry. That's a, that's a really natural question that almost everyone has when they stand up to speak. The answer is to just kind of drop your hands to your side when you're not using them, right? It will feel unnatural at first, but you'll get used to it very quickly. The, the result of this new habits are really quite rewarding, by the way. The reason why dropping your hands to your side can feel unnatural is that most people want to grip something when they get nervous. So if you happen to be standing behind a lectern, you know, that's what most people call erroneously call a, a podium. Um, you'll want to kind of grip the sides of that lectern 
Um, standing behind a lectern, by the way, is very bad. By the way, when you do this, your energy and enthusiasm level will drop significantly. You'll, you'll gesture very rarely because of that barrier between you and your audience. So on occasion, that, that when you do kind of gesture, the audience is not going to really be able to see it because of that huge block of wood between you and them. So if you don't have a lectern, you may feel like you need to clasp your hands together. So that's that's a very normal thing to do. We often do this when we're nervous um, and that that but the, we're afraid that the audience is going to see our handshaking. So just like with the lectern, though, if you clasp your hands in front of you, then the number and size of gestures that you'll use will actually be reduced significantly. For instance, if your hands are clasped and you need to, to use them, you first have to kind of break that clasp in, in order to, to make a gesture. And, and your subconscious mind would rather just keep the status quo, right? Just keep them clasped. Therefore, you're going to miss opportunities to make really natural gestures if you do that. If you were in the military, then you're probably more likely to kind of rest your hands behind you. Um, this, this can actually be negative for the same reason. Um, however, this can be doubly distracting because people are now in the audience are wondering, what the heck is he doing behind his back, right? So another error that speakers make is to stand in what people call the power stance, right? Power stance. Um, I remember learning this when, when I was in college. Uh, to do this, by the way, if you stand with your feet kind of shoulder width apart, not a bad start, by the way. Then you take all of your fingers and both thumbs and touch the tips together in front of your chest. All right. If you do it correctly, it's going to look like your hand. Your hands are going to look like a, a spider standing on a mirror. So I remember practicing my speech in college, standing in front of a group this way. It was this. It, it was the power stance, and I wanted to appear really powerful. Um, by the way, it's not a power stance. It's a goofy stance. <laughs> the only people that I've ever seen use this stance in real life are people that, you know, like, like uh, car dealers on TV commercials or, um, you know, situations like that. It's not a natural stance. It's not something that people do, uh, do uh, in just in general. So when you do that, it's going to make you look really goofy. So years after I graduated from college, by the way, I was working with a professional speaker and she recorded one of my speeches. And as we reviewed the recording, she paused the playback and she said, so why are you holding your hands in front of you like that? Because it really did look goofy, right? And I mentioned to her that my college speaking class taught me to do that. And she was actually, she was the actually the, the person who kind of coined the phrase, the goofy stance. I mean, she was, a, she said that, that's not a power stance, Doug. That's a goofy stance. And she told me that no one does this gesture naturally when they're walking down the hallway in the office. No one stands that way when they're speaking to friends. It's, it's an artificial gesture. So then she asked me, when you're casually walking down the, the hallway in the office, where do you usually put your hands? And I had never really thought about it. So I stood up and walked from one end of the room and back and answered, I just dropped them down to my side. And she can, she basically, when she, when she kind of smiled a little bit and she continued, she said, so, and when you just, and you just told me that, where were your hands? And they were also by my side as well. So what seems more natural, your hands dropped by your side or in that goofy power stance, right? So her logic was really sound. It wasn't until years later though, that I realized by dropping my hands, I was actually more powerful in front of the group. And that's, that's when the, 
my confidence really kind of zoomed because the realization came in it, it basically two different formats is when I realized this. First, as I began to, to speak more, I realized that when I gestured from having my hands down at my side, my gestures were more powerful and energetic. To see this, once just try this experiment. What I want you to do is clasp your hands together about chest high and then break the clasp and gesture with your right hand. If you're like most people, that gesture, it was only about four to six inches of hand movement, right? Now, drop your hands loosely down by your side and, and do the same gesture. And what you're going to notice is that one thing that, will, that you'll notice like right away is that the new gesture is bigger and more powerful. However, you might also notice that your left hand also moved at least slightly, and you may have even taken a small step when you gestured. The point is, is that your gestures are more powerful when you start from, from a hand position where your hands are dropped loosely by your side. Um, the second realization came from a, a really totally unexpected source. It was actually martial arts and boxing. Uh, years ago, my, my daughter started taking karate classes. And since I was helping her pass her belt test, you know, every time she got a new belt, I would kind of go through the, the motions with her and teach her and practice with her and that kind of thing. I figured I should probably join the class too. You know, at least I get the belts that way, right? So on day number one, the instructor mentioned that there were, that if there is a threat in front of you, it's important to put something between you and that threat. So in karate, you're instructed to put your hands and your feet and or your feet between you and the, the potential threat. And uh, it's a protection technique. You know, when a martial artist or, or a boxer puts his gloves up, he is saying to the other competitor, you are a threat to me and I'm going to protect myself from you. Right. Um, give you a good example. Conor McGregor was was the first person ever to hold two title belts in the, the UFC, um, basically one in each of two different weight classes at the same time. And one of the strange things that he was most known for, though, was keeping his hands very low during a fight. And this tech, this is this was a technique, by the way, it was a technique that he used to show his opponent that yeah, I'm not even scared of you, man. <laughs> it was a mental game that he was playing. And a similar things ha will happen when a nervous speaker stands up in front of a group. If the nervous speaker puts his or her hands between themselves and the audience, then they're subtly saying to the audience, hey, you're a threat. I'm going to protect myself from you. However, when you drop your hands down by your side, you're showing the audience, hey, you don't scare me, right? You'll, you'll look more poised. You'll look more in control. And you'll also be much, much, much more natural at using gestures when you dramatize your speech when, when you need to. Um, so what about eye contact? If you're, if you're feeling nervous, a good tip to, is to make eye contact with friendly faces in the audience. That's going to help your audience members feel that you're speaking to them directly instead of lecturing to them. It will also help you build confidence because when these people will actually give you subtle positive reinforcement like nods and smiles, and every time you see positive feedback like this from the audience, you're going to begin to feel more comfortable. And as your nervousness drops, your energy and enthusiasm should perk up a little as well. So the major takeaway from this section is to use gestures and movement that come naturally. Don't try to manufacture fake techniques because someone said that this technique works. Techniques really rarely do work. Instead, move around as much as you need to when it's appropriate, but always remember to avoid repetitive patterns. Anything that you do too much can be a distraction. Now, there's very little difference between movements and gestures that 
you would do when you speak to someone in a one-on-one situation and the gestures that you might use in front of a group. The only major exception to this rule is that as your audience gets bigger, your gestures should get bigger as well. So you may have to actually exaggerate your gestures if you're speaking to a coliseum, but in most cases, just kind of do what, what comes naturally. So here are some action items for this section. Number one, when someone introduces you or when you introduce yourself, throw your shoulders back, stand with confidence and move to the front of the room about a half step faster to generate more enthusiasm. Number two, before you begin to speak, set your feet shoulder width apart and drop your hands down by your side. Number three, use gestures that help you better explain your content. Number four, add stories into your presentation to reinforce points because the stories are going to add natural gestures to your delivery. And then number five, make eye contact with friendly faces. You do those five things and your gestures will appear much more natural and effective in front of a group. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week. 